Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. It is Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. It is November 16th, 2021, the day after... Miami has fired Blake James, athletic director Blake James, and moved on. Uh, the Hurricanes are 5-5 five and five coming off a loss to Florida State, and I'm joined once again by my now regular co-host, Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day podcast. Um, Carlos. I'm only, I'm only here as like an emotional support animal. You are. At this point. You are. And, and it's, a, it's an important time because, you know, a lot of Miami fans had their wish come true yesterday. Uh, when it was announced that uh, that they had changed the athletic director, everybody sees this as the first domino and that it is inevitable that Manny Diaz uh, will be fired at some point um, by the end of the season. I can tell you through my own reporting, and I reported this for The Athletic last night and this morning in a couple of stories that I wrote, that according to sources inside UM, um, there will be no changes until the end of this regular season at the earliest. So Manny Diaz, uh, I think barring a 58-0 loss to Virginia Tech, who just fired their coach, by the way, Justin Fuente, um, he should be able to coach against Duke. And then after that, um, you know, essentially he could have his head chopped off after that game. And we don't know if he'll get to coach the bowl game. We don't know ultimately if whoever Miami hires athletic director isn't able to bring in the coach that they want, but – we know this, there is a new vision for the athletic department. And as I, as, as it was explained to me last night, um, you know, Miami views athletics as a business and they're in three different businesses. The university of Miami is one academics two, it's medical field and three athletics. And they want a new vision for their athletic program. They want to make sure that the athletic program is competing at a high level. And President Frank is the one behind all this. He's the one who, after Kirk Herbstreit made some, some comments after the Michigan State game, who ultimately said, you know what, we're going to have to address this. And so they want to have success. They say they're going to spend money if they make the change. Um, but first, they've got to hire an athletic director. And so that's where we're at as a program. Miami um, had an opportunity to keep its faint uh, coastal division um, championship hopes alive, and they, they blew a 28-20 lead with less than five minutes to go in Tallahassee. Basically crapped the bed on fourth and 14, crapped the bed on first. Yeah, I, I heard I heard as a result of the game now, the podcast has now need, it needs to change its name from wide right to fourth and 14. Yeah, it, it fourth and 14, fourth and 17. Um, we can change the name to a lot of different things, Carlos. Um, but first, let's start with this. Let's. Uh, there's obviously a lot to digest here, a lot to talk about. I know we have a whole mailbag of questions, and I've been already blabbering for three minutes here. 
Um, let's start with this. Let's let's start with the biggest news, which is the firing of Blake James. Um, what's on your mind? Your reaction to that, and 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 you know what's sort of spinning through your head, Carlos, as you, as you think about Miami making this decision with two weeks left in the regular season. Sure. So for me, the timing. Well, first of all, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Like Jiminy Cricket said, when you wish upon a star, because the Kane fans have been wishing upon a star all season long for Blake James and Manny Diaz to be gone. So they got one down, one more to go. Um, but for me, the timing with two games left in the regular season speaks to me that Manny's time here is done. You don't fire the AD without an absolute need before the end of the year uh, unless there's a reason behind it, unless you have some sort of an ulterior motive or a bigger purpose behind it, which to me says you are doing one of two things. Number one, you want to get the new person in place to hire your new head football coach because the new AD has to have some say, if not complete say, over the new head football coach. And the second thing is you are sending a message to candidates that you want to be pursuing, that we're serious about this. And step one is we're getting rid of the guy that our number one candidate, Mario Cristobal, can't stand. So by doing that, you're basically sending off the first salvo and saying, we're open for business. Manny's going to be gone soon. Let's start talking. Yeah, I think without question, that's number one, what it does. I think it, I think it also sends a message to the fan base and it sends a message that, hey, uh, we hear you. We know that you're upset. We know that uh, this isn't acceptable and we want to make changes. And, you know, I think there is some question, fair questions in terms of is this just to appease the fan base? Did Blake James just get fired to appease the fan base? And here's my response to that. Um, first off, when you're athletic director of a program, you have to be well-liked because your job is to raise money. Your job is to be the salesman of the athletic program and the director of the athletic program. And, I, and what I mean by that is you're not just selling tickets. You're not just trying to get people to invest in your program and, and boosters and donors and whatnot. You're, you're, you're also selling it, right? You're selling what victories you're selling future you're selling promise well like you said you're selling the vision of the program long term and it's really hard to be an athletic director and be this hated and and blake james didn't do himself any favors when he opened his mouth and and said what he said about manny diaz not being able to guarantee his future after the two and four start and you know what he was right <laughs> couldn't guarantee it but the problem is, from a strategic standpoint, um, you sabotage your coach and you hurt recruiting more than it's already hurt um, because now you start having all the parents on your team questioning, man, should we start looking at the transfer portal? Should we start talking to other programs behind the scenes? Um, you know, Manny Diaz has two years left on his contract. Um, when you start that, that conversation, it just opens a Pandora's box of problems. And ultimately, the way I infer what I've gathered from my conversations with people in Miami was their number one priority is basically keeping the talented players Manny has recruited here in the last two cycles. It's keeping the best of the best. They know that they're probably going to lose players, um, but it's keeping James Williams here, having some sign of stability. So, when people ask, you know, should they fire Manny in season? The reason you don't do that right now is because the kids are playing for him and you're sending a message of, you know, togetherness. And if you rip that apart now, um, it is open season on every single one of Miami's top players. Those kids are going to, their parents, their high school coaches. I mean, tampering is a real thing, man. And they're going to start getting phone calls left and right. So that, you know, for oh, those, sure. people, they're getting them already. Yeah. I mean, not that those conversations aren't already happening, but it's a different level when you fire your coach in the middle of the season. And I know the other side of it, the flip side of it is, Hey, you also want to send a message to other coaches. Hey, we're serious about the change. We're looking for help, but the best coaches in college football aren't coming from teams that aren't playing in bowl games or playing in the college football playoff. And those guys aren't going to be available anyway until after January, because none of these coaches, when was the last time you saw a coach leave for a new job before his season ended? 
if he was having a good season. He needs that on his resume. He wants to finish yeah. the season strong and say, hey, I led my team to the Orange Bowl, you know, uh, victory. All right. Um, you know, I stay. It, it just that's well, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they're not talking to the agents behind the scenes oh, while their course. season is still ongoing. Of course. And this is this is why it's critical that they do this now. So by the time that bowl game rolls around and that that season ends, you have something in principle in place to announce that new head coach immediately. But here's the, here's the deal, Carlos. Uh, the early signing period is December 15th. Um, the bowl games aren't played till after that. But this season, as we saw, a lot of kids are holding off to the, to the later signing period this year. Correct. And, and on top of that, the current recruiting class from Miami, salvaging that really isn't a high priority no. because it's ranked 67th in the country. No. So what you're trying to do is hold on to the current kids, like you said, Give them some some assurances that yeah we're on it we're going to be hiring a good, somebody that's going to be in line with trust me with with the best direction for the program you're going to see with the first AD hire you're going to see the kind of guy we're going to bring in we're going to give you the type of confidence and assurance and what the decision we're going to make long term give us time to get this coach in place you'll be happy and save those guys and then when the next signing period comes around in February that's when you try to get those flips or those undecided kids and then work the portal in between there are a lot of jobs open. Uh, Chris Vanini, who, who works with me at The Athletic, wrote last week that, you know, I guess there was been nine head coaches fired. And this was on November 9th. Um, since then, you have um, the firing of Justin Fuente this morning. Um, everybody's thinking Dan Mullen has probably done at Florida. You have Miami. Essentially, you're going to have 11 jobs open. And, you know, it's interesting. We'll get to one of the mailbag questions later, but it, it essentially is, you know, if you had to rank the open jobs, where does Miami stack up? And assuming Florida, you know, has to hire a new coach, I would say LSU, USC, and Florida are the three schools ahead of Miami. And the ones behind it would probably be Washington, Virginia Tech, TCU, Washington State, and then the G5 schools, Akron, UConn, yeah, and FIU. Um, but again, uh, Carlos, um, all of that plays a factor, right? It's like how quickly can you, can you get that relationship with a head coach? But it also depends how quickly they want to leave. And Mario right now, uh, Cristobal at Oregon, I think the new rankings just came out. I think Oregon's number three now. They are number three. In the college football rankings. So, um, you know, it's going to be hard. I think what would help Miami is if Oregon somehow gets left out of the college football playoff. Um, and then they hire an athletic director that Manny wants to, I mean, that uh, Mario wants to work for. Um, I mentioned a couple of names in my story. I know other names have been out there as, as potential replacements for Manny. Um, but Mario, I would think, is the consensus number one. After that, I, I wrote Lane Kiffin. Um, who yeah, to me, those are, those, those are two of the guys that, to me, those are the two guys that move with me. Like anybody else behind that is sort of a second tier and you're not getting the same excitement and I think um, direction for the program that you want necessarily. Correct. And, and I said this on the podcast and wrote about this a few weeks ago that Miami says money will not be an issue. So if that's really the case, those are the kind of coaches that you have to pony up for. Um, because they're And not just for them, but their staffs. Right. I saw I saw Lane Kiffin's initial contract at Ole Miss, and he had five point three million dollars allocated to staff. Mm -hmm. So if if they're going to make a move, you're figuring you're going to have to pay about six for staff because they're going to want to raise for the kind of people they want to bring in here to compete for a national championship. And although the the there are universities already investing in the locker rooms, there's going to be have to there's going to have to be another investment in facilities because when you want to compete with the SEC in terms of recruiting for the same caliber of talent and you want to recruit for the best in the, in the West coast or nationally, you can't have a shitty locker room. You can't have facilities that don't compare to them. You've got to at least be somewhere near that or on par. So I invite you to go on YouTube and look at a tour of Alabama and Oregon's uh, facilities in terms of locker room and, and all that kind of stuff. And take a look at that and see how ridiculous that stuff is and what Miami is actually competing against. And that, People don't think that makes a difference. That makes a huge difference in, for, in terms of the kids and their perception of a program. No doubt. No doubt. It definitely uh, affects it. And, and still, I would say the on-campus stadium remains the biggest obstacle for Miami. The fact that they play uh, whatever it is, 10, 15 miles away from campus um, at Hard Rock. And yes, Hard Rock's a nice stadium, but 
Um, when these kids go on recruiting visits to other schools in the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, um, there is something to that college atmosphere of, hey, we can walk down over to the stadium um, and, and B, it's all sort of this all-encompassing campus experience. And facilities have been upgraded at Miami. Um, the stadium has been upgraded at Miami. Um, the, the dorms, that was a huge improvement. They've done a lot to make things better, to make Miami more attractive. Absolutely. Ultimately, winning is the most attractive thing. And whoever comes yeah. in here has to have a track record of winning. If it's an unproven coach, okay, if Miami strikes up, it's, it's, it, it just isn't. And that's why I wrote in my story today that it is not out of the realm of possibility that Manny Diaz comes back. And I'm going to give you two examples, okay, of when this happened recently. Because I asked our other college football writers, hey, I, you know, I don't cover every other team in college football, but what examples? And they brought up two good ones. Nebraska was Scott Frost. They hired a new athletic director in July. He could have very easily fired Scott Frost and just moved on from him after this season. Instead, they restructured his contract. And USC with Mike Bond in, in 2019 with Clay Helton um, because he was in trouble at that point as well. And they kept him, and then he ended up firing him in 2021. So, you know, again, from the conversations that I've had in the last 24 to 48 hours, while it looks for sure like there's going to be a new athletic director in here who wants to make a change at the head coaching position, I also believe that if Miami cannot get the home run higher, if they cannot get the guys that they really want at the top of, it, of their pecking order, and Manny Diaz is better than, than you know some of the other options out there, I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes, um, then I think there is a chance that it could happen. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, I just want people to be aware that it's not a slam like you know Shaquille O'Neal busting the rim uh, bringing down the rim dunk. Uh, that yeah, this isn't an NBA jams type uh, dunk here. No, like it, 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 there's always a possibility that you have to make a counter move. And Manny Diaz certainly has a lot of people, um, including his father, uh, who have some power and some say. And there are trustees who I think do support Manny in some way, shape or form. I and think the nightmare scenario for the Hurricanes is Oregon makes it to the playoff and gets the college football final. And then Mario gets a massive extension. And then the and other nightmare happen. scenario. And the night the other nightmare scenario is Dan Muller gets fired and Florida goes all in on Lane Kiffin. Right. And all those things can happen. And that's why the next few weeks and months are going to be really, really interesting to watch. Um, because Miami has to first get the kind of athletic director who can get those high-end coaches to come here and to believe him, to believe that Miami's going to spend money on a coaching staff, to promise him those things. Again, Miami's administration has said money will not be an issue. Well, we've never actually seen that at the University of Miami. Money's always been an issue. So um, that's going to be tough for whoever, you know, as, as far as the athletic director, the next athletic director, um, getting people to believe that, getting coaches to believe that. And, and you, so you, you need a guy who certainly knows his way around the athletic field. Um, I know there's been different names tossed out there. I mentioned Gino Toretta uh, as a guy who has always sort of wanted it. He does have a business acumen, you know, running his own sort of broadcast, radio broadcast company. Um, Alonzo Highsmith, of course, was talked about as a, as a potential football czar uh, with Manny Diaz and Blake James uh, in the past. Um, and you know, Alonzo, he's got an extensive career in the NFL. So, you know, he, as a scout and personnel, man, he could certainly help you land, uh, an NFL type staff if you wanted to go that route. Um, ultimately, uh, I think Miami's going to do the best search that they can do the most thoughtful search they can do, but also I think they're going to try to be as swift as possible. Um, so that, they don't completely lose out on getting a great football coach here and um, having a bunch of guys exit via the transfer portal. Like to me, that is, you talk about rebuilding this thing. I'm sitting in my, in my kitchen, Carlos right now, and, and it's being rebuilt. Uh, I got new flooring. We're going to, you know, paint the walls. There's going to be all kinds of changes in here. Uh, it, it takes time. We started over a week ago. You talk about a rebuild project. Well, imagine if all of a sudden, all these great freshmen that Miami have, the Jake Garcia, the Tyler Van Dykes, the James Williams, the Cam Kitchens, 
if all the of all of them just get up and left, right? Um, that yep. would make this a whole lot harder. So I understand the priority to you need uh, you need the equivalent uh, of a combination of AD and head coach to chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper. That's what yeah. you need. And you, exactly. you probably you probably need that at the house too. Do you have like a Fixer Upper type combination there? You, you okay <laughs> with that? I would love to have uh, more help so that this went along faster. But um, I, if I learned one thing about renovations while watching Fixer Upper is shiplap. Whatever you do, just put some shiplap on the wall. It'll mm-hmm. look fantastic. Shiplap. Okay, I got you. Um, all right. So do we want to talk at all about Virginia Tech? Do we want to talk at all about what happened with FSU or do we just want to go into the mailbag? I'm going to let you make that decision. Listen, first of all, the university doesn't want to talk about Florida State because another bonus of firing Blake James on a Monday following, to me, the most disappointing loss in Manny Diaz's tenure uh, is changing the narrative. You know, the university is shrewd. These guys that are making these decisions aren't stupid. They not only fired Blake James two games with two games left in the season to put the bat signal out to the coaches they want to hire, but they also said, shit, this is going to be a big media shitstorm this week. Let's flip the script and get the right. fans happy again. Right. Let's give them something to cheer over. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, all right, I'm going to just hit on some quick notes, okay? Uh, just so people know because uh, I, I don't want to just gloss over it. I just want to mention it as, as fast as possible. Number one, uh, we're going to get a chance to talk to Manny Diaz and a couple of players in person tomorrow, Wednesday morning after practice. So there will be some sort of reaction. They canceled media availability on Tuesday in large part so they wouldn't have to face the media shitstorm over Blake James. OK, so Manny Diaz will be answering questions tomorrow in person uh, with me and a few other people who show up regularly um, and, and probably some extra TV cameras because that's the way they roll. Um, so we will hear from them. But Manny did say on Monday. Um, that he still thinks that this team is going to stick together despite being eliminated from coastal, you know, division race that uh, they had a big meeting on Sunday night and they all want to show up and play for the seniors. They all want to beat Virginia tech. Um, Just, uh, just to update the stats here, Manny Diaz, 19 and 15 overall four and four against ranked teams, 14 and 13 against power five foes and 14 and nine against the ACC. Um, and, and 0-2 and when having a team on 4th and 10-plus. Uh, or longer. <laughs> or longer. Uh, and and the, the game on the line. Yes. Uh, 7.30 kickoff Saturday night, ACC Network, if you want to tune in and watch. Uh, both teams are 5-5, five and 3-3. Five, three and, three. and, you know, Justin Fuente will not be the coach for the other team because he was fired. Which is really point. disappointing because a couple of weeks ago we talked about this being the fire his ass bowl. Right. Meaning whoever lost was probably getting fired. We got to rebrand it now. Uh, it's funny. I talked to Andy Bitter from The Athletic who covers Virginia Tech a little while ago, and we're going to do sort of a little back and forth talking about this game. But, you know, they actually announced the Fuente hair, uh, firing at 7.41 a.m. this morning. I mean, 
people are still rolling out of bed at 7:41 a.m. I know people are working and in school and everything, but that's pretty early to fire a guy, man. Like I, I have that might be the record for the earliest firing I've seen as far as uh, the clock is concerned. I, I, I could just imagine Justin Fuente rolling into the facility with like his Dunkin' Donuts at like seven o'clock in the morning or maybe six thirty, and finding the doors locked, his key doesn't work. He's like, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> no, 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 dude. Hey, all your shit's outside. You're, you see that box? Peace. <laughs> Miami has won five of seven in the series, uh, but the last time they played here in 2019 at Hard Rock, uh, that was that game where um, Miami fell behind by a shitload of points and, and lost 42-35. Yeah, three um, interceptions uh, by Jaron Williams early in the game. Yeah, Diaz hinted Monday this is going to be the last home game for a few players, including Charleston Rambo, Lou Hadley, Nessa Silvera, and Gilbert Frierson, among some of the guys that he mentioned. So, uh, I think we can already start to expect that uh, some of the guys with eligibility left will be gone uh, after this game. So it'll be a big sort of senior day uh, moment. The, the most interesting thing about Manny, and, and I don't remember the exact quote. I have to sift through it here. But when he talked about the fourth and one against FSU, uh, kind of hoping for the false start penalty or a turnover because they turned it over against Wake Forest. Again, you talk about, rookie head coach, right? And the split duality of his job, defensive coordinator and head coach. Somebody, you know, one of the best analysts uh, in college football messaged me and said, um, I think Manny Diaz had a fight with himself. The defensive coordinator won over the head coach <laughs> with that decision, right? The ego of, hey, we're going to stop these guys at the one yard. Yeah, line. like how many, how many times has somebody actually fumbled at the one yard, because it was even less than the one after that offsides penalty. Right. Um, right there on the goal line to win the game. I mean, I, so we saw it earlier this year. I think it was, who was it, Cincinnati that escaped mm-hmm. because of it? But, I mean, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, if you're an analy- analytics guy like Manny claims to be, the percentages are very, very small. They're minuscule. Mm-hmm. That They're not going to get that touchdown. That's why most people say they should have score. Right. And, again, if, if Manny is just the head coach and not the defensive coordinator, Carlos, do you think he makes that decision differently? I don't think so. It's still the same guy making the decision. I mean, it's who he is. That's his personality. It, it, it's, that's why, again, on the fourth and one, on the flip side, when the Hurricanes were at the 46, they punted away because Manny felt that his defense could hold. I right. think he would have the same reaction if he was just a head coach and had somebody else's defense coordinator. Now, the punt I'm not too upset about because I get the logic behind it. They had shut them down the entire second half, except for that previous drive where Florida State went on a 97-minute drive to get that field goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually had the opportunity to pin them inside the five, but the the coverage guys actually slowed up and let up because they thought it was actually going to be a fair catch and the ball bounced behind the return man, and they fell for the sucker move. Right. Um, Yeah, unfortunate. And and I'll say this, um, you know, I, I... Miami didn't the play ultimately didn't count against Georgia Tech because uh, their quarterback, of course, had his knee on the ground. But this would have been the second game in a row that holding on to a slim lead. uh, The secondary gives up a long pass play. And, you know, again, what defense is he calling there? Why are you why don't you have two safeties high? Why don't what, what are you doing from a play calling perspective where you're lining up? the slot receiver against a safety and he's getting beat over the top. I mean, it's obvious that. And uh, his logic was that he didn't think they were going to go down the field because on first down, he expected them to try and get some, some yardage and, and get the drive rolling. He didn't expect them. And he also said that Jordan Travis isn't a great deep ball quarterback. So he didn't expect them to throw that slot fade. Well, there you go. Yeah. Again, you know, you want to talk about evidence against Manny and and why people feel he's a bad coach. You, You can't, Against that FSU team, you cannot blow an eight-point lead with under five minutes to go. You just can't. You can't. And, and that's, that's just another example of a guy who is learning on the job here, probably needed to hire a defensive coordinator so he wouldn't have to have that responsibility on top of himself. And, and, and Lashley has also skated a little bit on this because yeah. we've seen over even during the, the win streak with opportunities on Miami's last possessions, they've gone very conservative to try and kill clock and just barely pick up first downs as opposed to putting the put keep the gas down and keep scoring points because you've been boat racing them, especially against Florida State that second half. Why why start to get conservative and give them the opportunity to stop you 
in a series. Keep pushing the ball downfield and scoring points because at the end of the day, if you score more, they can't win. Well, and it, and it just goes back to the fact that Miami is still the worst rushing team in the ACC. Like in terms of yards per carry uh, and production, uh, this was their worst game since 2019 against FSU running the football. And I get it. You know, some games you're just not going to be able to have success. But again, it's Jalen Knighton or bus. You don't see Cody Brown. Um, you don't see Thad Franklin really affect the game whatsoever. And, you know, I get it. Miami fell behind 17 nothing. You have to throw the football. But, man, wouldn't it have been nice up 28-20 or, you know, 28-23 that you just hand the ball off and get a first down? I mean, against FSU. I mean, it's, yeah. not like, it's not like you were going up against Alabama or Georgia. But that's been the issue. This, this team's run blocking right. has not been good for years. Right. And they, 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 have not, they haven't been able to get a push up front to get one or two yards in the last four, five, six years. Now, one thing um, Lashley talked about as far as FSU is concerned, he said that uh, the way they played Miami's RPO was different um, that, that, than they normally do in terms of bracket coverage um, and, and in the sense that they sort of waited instead of crashing down you know, on the RPO plays. And had Miami had a little bit more success running the football, they would have been able to maybe take FSU out of that defense. Um, but they weren't getting enough big pops out of those RPO situations. So, again, um, just which to me is surprising. What is he comparing it to? Because I, I came into the game expecting Florida State to run that cover four, what's called cover four palms, mm -hmm. which is a matchup zone where they're in cover four, but they match the routes as those routes come into that zone. So it's right. essentially man to man, but off the ball. And like you said, attacking those routes after it comes up to them. Well, and, I mean, I don't. I mean, as far as the run, the way that they would crash right. down on the run. Right. Yeah. That it was sort and, of a delay. Wait, wait for the handoff before crashing. Yeah. And I saw King Den that, that I did see because the King Den number 27 and number 10, Jamie or Jamie Robinson, whatever his name is, mm -hmm. uh, they would attack the ball aggressively against other teams in the run game. And mm -hmm. they actually didn't do that this game. But the thing is this, you saw the flip side of it. Florida State came in and broke tendencies completely on offense. Right. They ran stuff they hadn't run all year. They ran that one particular play, which was the toss read the quick toss uh, to the running back or reading it where Jordan Travis would fake it and keep him himself, depending on the reaction of the linebacker and the defensive end, something they had to run all season. They came in prepared with stuff they hadn't run to attack Miami's weaknesses and to get matchups that were favorable to them. We didn't do that on offense. On offense, we just kept running the same shit we always run. And that's the flip side of it. And then their defense came in with a game plan to counter our strengths. And our defense mm -hmm. didn't do that. We just came in with the same stuff we always do, expecting it to work even though we knew what they were going to do, run the football at us 197 times and then go play action and try and get some yardage down the field. Miami, of course, turned it over three times again in the first half, and that, that'll get them beat against Virginia Tech. I mean, it, it almost got them beat against Georgia Tech. But uh, of those three turnovers, uh, the interception to Harley, Lashley, I think, put, on the, blame, put the blame on Harley, um, you know, for the ball going in and out of his hands. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Van Dyke was pressured 10 times by Florida State. They only blitzed four times all game, according to Pro Football Focus. For the season, Van Dyke is 17 of 37 for 247 yards, four touchdowns, and two picks when he's pressured. Um, he's been pressured 68 times and sacked 21 times. He's a better passer when blitzed. 60.3 uh, completion percentage, 486 yards, ATDs, one, one INT when he's not pre uh, blitzed. 61.6 completion percentage, 1,694 yards, 11 touchdowns, but five picks. So, um, you know. What, what that tells me is that he's great at identifying the matchups mm -hmm. when teams blitz and they, they, man, they man up. What he's not so great at so far is reading progressions and reading the defense. And that happens with young quarterbacks sometimes, but, you know, he's got to get better at it. He's, he's shown a good football IQ to an extent, but to me his two biggest issues are, like I said, he doesn't read the defense as well. He locks onto receivers, and he's still not great at moving around in the pocket. He doesn't feel pressure well, and he doesn't slide and move in and out of the pocket. His only move when he feels pressure is to try and escape out to the right side. And every time he does that, he's either it's feast or famine. Either he gets out there and, and throws the ball down the field, runs it for a couple yards, or he gets sacked. Right. Um, Lashley uh, said they called 30 runs out of the 70 snaps. Uh, doesn't regret how he called the game. So um, Van Dyke's. Uh, decision to spike the ball with two seconds left on the on the clock. Uh, the way Rhett 
sort of explained that to us is they thought it was three seconds. And normally he looks over, you know, it takes, it's an automatic two second runoff whenever you spike a football. So unfortunately for Miami, uh, it looked like the clock was uh, at two seconds and not three, like they initially, initially thought, which is why you saw Van Dyke sort of hesitate before you spike the football. So, well, they would have had 12 more seconds that they called the timeout after the, the 24 yard game. And, and, and that's absolutely correct. And that's where the failure happened. It's, it's, it, ha- it goes back to how Miami managed that, that, you know, three plays from the half yard line. Um, from a defensive perspective, an injury perspective, James Williams, soft tissue injury. We all thought it was a groin the way it looked at, to us up in the press box. Um, Diaz said he'll loosen up. You know, they're going to try to get him loosened up for the uh, for the Hokies. He's the only guy, according to Manny Diaz, who's really dinged up after the game. So we, we well, may not see it, James Williams. If it is a groin, that is the softest of tissues, no? <laughs> right. Uh, with Williams out, Cam Kitchens played all but two snaps against FSU. Worst grade of the season, giving up the 59-yard pass play and, um, you know, the, the go-ahead go touchdown drive. He was also marked down for three missed tackles. Uh, yeah, I think he had just one in, in the previous, you know, whatever, four or five games that he'd really played in. Uh, Vontae Williams, meanwhile, played uh, 56 snaps with James Williams out. Tyreek Stevenson lined up at safety for six snaps against FSU. DJ Ivy played three. Marcus Clark played two, and Keyshawn Washington played one, according to Pro Football Focus. Miami didn't use Amari Carter or Gilbert Frierson at safety at all, and James Williams absent. So that's the way they played it defensively. So if James Williams is out again, my guess is uh, you will see D- a lot more of DJ Ivy again, and he and him and uh, um, to Corey Couch, you know, sort of rotating in a cornerback, which at times that's problematic for Miami. Yeah, and especially on that last play on the fourth and fourteen, where both of them just seemed completely lost. Yep. All right, let's get to the mailbag questions uh, and, and try to wrap this thing up here because you and I both have uh, other things to do. Um, all right, this is a fun one. We'll start with this. How sad will you and Carlos be when Manny Diaz is terminated? This is from the Dolomite 79. Well, listen, it's going to be a long night of drinking. Um, the, the Cuban Illuminati, we're going to have a meeting that night and we're going to have a ceremonial uh, dismissal of Manny, you know, sending him on his way. We'll have like a Viking funeral for him. Mm-hmm. We'll... we'll, we'll will set his number 25 jersey that he got when he first got hired from Blake James onto a pyre and onto a ship, and we'll set it ablaze with uh, Cuban 151 rum and cigars. I agree. I think uh, that sounds perfect. That sounds like the perfect uh, sort of burial for Manny, assuming that that's what happens. Um, This is from Steve Thompson, or Evil Steve, E-V-E-L, Steve, uh, on Twitter. Do you think Diaz deserves all the hatred going around? I mean... Hatred, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's more, he deserves criticism. I don't know if he deserves hatred uh, because it's not about him personally. It's just about the way he's been coaching. So I would say he deserves all the criticism. I agree. I mean, ultimately, as a head coach, it's your responsibility to get it right. And I think taking on the defensive coordinator job ultimately is what's going to come back to bite him. Um, you know, it, it's not easy. I know he was asked a question this week in the press conference, and he really didn't address it. Um, in terms of, you know, giving sort of an honest assessment. I think he just, you know, sort of mentioned the challenges Miami's had uh, with injuries and, and, and all that. But ultimately, um, the lack of player development at linebacker, the fact that that has been a position that they have not been able to fix in the two years since Shaq Gordon and Michael Pingley left has been, has been an issue. Um, and I think, you know, you can't ignore the amount of points that this team has given up and the amount of big plays that they've given up. You know, yardage, uh, you, that's always debatable, but the big explosive plays and the points, that's what matters. And they just have not gotten the job done. So, yeah, I will say that he was, he was better with, uh, with Al Golden's guys and he's been with the guys that he's handpicked. Right. Um, all right. Uh, we're, we got some more that, that I'm going to just read right off of Twitter here. This is from David Engelson. He gave us a question last, last week. You said multiple times that the U-Brass knows they have to spend on the program. A new athletic director, Miami's buyout, a top-tier crystal ball coach, his staff, and a recruiting budget over five years will cost at least $75 million. Is that a number they're comfortable with? Wow. Um, I don't know that it's ever going to really balloon up to $75,000. I guess I'd have to sit there and actually do the math to give you a great answer, David. Um, But again... All I'm going to say is what I was told over and over again. Money will not be an issue. Now, is that really going to happen? Is that really going to be the case? We'll see. But I haven't sat there and, and, and asked anybody in Miami's administration, what is the limit? 
again, what, what I was told was money would not be an issue. And based on the documentation that Carlos, you and I looked at, I mean, $420 million in profits from the U health. Um, I mean, it feels like they think that they have enough money to bring in an elite coach and hire the staff and, and do what it need, do what they need to do. And, and that they feel they have enough of a surplus and that U health is going to do well enough moving forward that they're going to have the money to sustain that. And I think ultimately ex- exactly what I started off saying in this podcast, which is they look at this as one of their three businesses and there's going to be, if, if you get this thing, right. Uh, you did the research, Carlos, you, you saw those articles um, from financial uh, websites, uh, you know, in terms of the athletic programs and how much money they generate uh, when things are going right. I think if things were going right at Miami, they could make money there from, from an athletic perspective. And it wasn't even just athletic programs. It was football programs specifically. Correct. Correct. What was it that Clemson made in profits? Football? Uh, Clemson only made like 40, 45, I think it was. Right. But there were other programs we saw for- A&M made, A&M made like 93 million. Right. I mean, that's, that's the kind of payoff I think they're looking for in this, in investing in their coach. So, all right. Um, this is a comment from Glenn D- Daniels. First order is for the next AD to immediately become a Nike, a Nike school, to make Miami a Nike school. Uh, these kids today are all about brands. Ask yourself, why would Mario leave Oregon? Has Phil Knight on his side? Pac-12 is winnable every year. Do you believe that? Do you think that there's no way that Mario Cristobal comes here because of the amount of money that Phil Knight has? And do you think becoming a Nike school pl- makes a difference? Well, first, I don't think becoming a Nike school makes a difference. I think Adidas has come out recently and, and challenged Nike in terms of their, their sneaker lines and things like that and their gear. So I don't think Nike is that important in that sense, in terms of the apparel and, and that kind of a draw. I think Adidas can be on par in terms of what they supply the university with. The only thing is the university has not taken advantage of being Adidas's flagship school, supposedly, right, for football. And that falls, again, on the AD and the head coach. The next head coach could come in and ask Adidas to come up with 16 different uniform combinations and be the organ of Adidas like we were promised it was going to be. So that's one thing that you can do. Now, in terms of the Phil Knight money, yes, that to me is the biggest hurdle that you're going to overcome. So two things are the biggest hurdle. Number one, the facilities and the ability to compete with what Oregon has in terms of recruiting draw from that side, that's tough. And two, you know, the Pac-10, the Pac-12 is winnable every year, like you said, and it gives him a path to the college football playoff every year uh, because of the competition. Now, the flip side of it is you can win the Coastal every year, down. And, and who do you have to compete with on the flip side is Florida State and Clemson. Essentially, if Florida State becomes a program that they should be again. So there's a draw on either side. To me, the question becomes, does Mario have a big enough draw to come back home and leave something he's already built to the, to the stage where he's in the football playoff? Um, that's the question. To me, it's not just about money. It's about do you leave what you've already built to try and rebuild something else just because of the draw to come home and the program that you play for and love? That's the biggest question. Well, and, and I would say the other aspect to all this is Mario has to go outside of Oregon every single year to bring in great players. I mean, they, they signed the number one player in nine different states um, last year. I think there is an advantage to coming home and having a much thicker recruiting base uh, to choose from. And I think having him here in South Florida, coming back home to where you know he grew up and won championships, all of those emotional tugs, I think, play a factor for Miami. Ultimately, Phil Knight can throw a lot of money and, and really try his best to keep Cristobal. But if his heart is telling him to come home, yeah, uh, I, I, that's a hard thing for anybody to beat. And look, he's set up to be, be the hero here, right? I mean, if they're going to spend the money and give him all the support, I think he's set up to be the hero. And, and that's, that's a very intoxicating offer. Whereas at Oregon, um, what's the best that he could really do? Is he going to win a national championship there? I mean, they could get into the college football playoff, but what chance do you get them to beat a Georgia or an Alabama? Maybe eventually one year he wins one, but what, what, what does it mean to him to be a god at Oregon? And what does it mean to him to be a god at Miami if he's able right. to get Miami back into the national championship picture? I mean, it all depends on who you are as a person at heart, right? What it is that you want. That's you know? it. That, that's the bottom line. And it's, that's the thing you can't quantify with money or dollars or metric is the emotional tug and the emotional pull. And like you said, if he comes to Miami and he can still pull the best players out of those states, 
that he's currently recruiting from in Oregon and add the Florida players and the Georgia players and guys from Texas, I think it's, it creates a recruiting juggernaut. All right. This is from Oregon Kane at Jamrock 1986. When it comes to recruiting, if hired, how long do you think it would take Mario to start getting elite talent or keep those top tier players home? Um, first of all, he's recruiting some of those guys to Oregon. So yep. Nigel Lee Kelly, for instance, who I think is going to Oregon, assuming uh, Mario stays there. I think that could instantly flip things um, around and, and bring him, you know, get him to stay home. Um, I don't think it takes very long at all, especially the fact that he uh, has great relationships across all of Florida and the Southeast that he established when he was at Alabama and at FIU um, and still maintains to this day. So I think, I don't think it would be that difficult. Um, Would it, would it take a while for Miami to build the number one class in the country? Yeah. It'd probably take them a year later. (laughs) I really think it would only take Mario a year to land the number one recruiting class in the country and, and, and really contend with, Alabama and Georgia and those schools for, for those kind of rankings. Like he, well, he he's would, been known as, he, as a great recruiter throughout his career. So right. it's not the, the change of scenery is going to make it more difficult. It might actually make it easier for him. Yeah. Um, all right. This is from left coast Kane, Ibis UM 84 on Twitter. Do we have a new AD and head coach locked up by new year's day? Feel free to let Raul from highly chime in. Well, I don't know where Raul is right now. I mean, he gave me his beeper number and told me to, to beep him if I ever needed to, uh, to reach him because he's very, he's analog. He's off the grid. He uses, still uses a flip phone. Uh, I think he still has a Nokia and he still uses one of those express beepers. You know, okay. those express, the, yeah. the clear one. Yeah. That's what he uses to, to be in communication with people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've seen him communicate with his wife back and forth using those beeper codes. And some of the codes they send back and forth are just disgusting. But uh, as far as, as locking somebody up, I think the AD will be in place before the end of the season or, or at least by the end of the season, maybe before the bowl game. I don't see maybe the head coach being in place just yet, but I think it'll be very telling when it comes to the head coaching search. If you see some guys that were set to commit in the early signing period, start to push their commitment back to the later signing period because mm-hmm. they're getting word from somebody saying, Hey, hold off, hold off. Right. 100% agree. Um, all right. Uh, this is from boss hog casino at chef mall seven. In hindsight was Manny's biggest failure, not realizing after Michigan state loss, that it was time to move on from those upperclassmen, especially with 12 days from Michigan State to UVA and 16 days from UVA to UNC. Instead, those vets were major reasons for the UVA and UNC losses. I mean, it might have been. I think that's one of them. That's one of the biggest failings. Um, but I think you're still, even if he moved on from those other guys, you still get the Tyler Van Dyke performance against uh, Virginia in the first half and the, the North Carolina performance. So at the end of the day, maybe it still doesn't equate into more wins. You still get the doink off the uh, the upright by Borogales. So who knows? I, I don't know that it makes that big of a difference if those guys played a little bit sooner. Maybe they get one more win. I think that's about it. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I think this is more about changing the offense after De'Ara King was hurt and being able to make the kind of adjustment that you needed to and trusting um, Tyler Van Dyke. Because it's obvious once he would let it rip and played confidently that Miami was in a very good position to win all of its games, whereas they put themselves in huge holes against Virginia and North Carolina, and that was a lot harder for them to get out of. And yes, you know, if you if you start playing Cam Kitchens and James Williams, maybe um, you don't have those big you know plays that you give up on offense. But 
again, I, I, I thought it was more an offense related thing than it was, you know, what they did defensively. Um, but who's, who's to say it's, it, it, it still works out. It doesn't still work out the same way because they've, they've been letting a rip and he just threw three interceptions. Right. Or two interceptions and a fumble in the first quarter against Florida State. Right. No, I mean, I think holding on to those players on the defensive side of the ball, you don't know if Cam Kitchens would have been ready by that fourth game or fifth game. You don't know if James Williams was really ready. Um, it's just hard to say. Uh, I think in the end, the offense was the thing that disappointed the most in the beginning of the year. Like, that's what I thought yeah. they struggled with the most. And then defense was, we knew the defense was not going to be good, right? Like we knew that coming into the year that this was going to be a defense that had to prove a lot. They had to replace Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche. We knew the linebackers weren't going to be good. Well, the surprise was that Bubba Bolden and, and Gervin Hall and guys in the secondary struggled as much as they did. That was a surprise. I, I think the bigger, the, the, the thing that might have made the bigger difference is if had they gone with Van Dyke against Michigan State and played him because it was pretty obvious, uh, you know, J.R. King even said on our podcast, I think it was Lamar's, that he hurt his knee again against Alabama right. and the shoulder. And, you know, that injury against Michigan State was just, you know, icing on the cake. It was the final straw. It was the one that broke the camel's back. So who knows? Maybe had they gone with Tyler a little earlier against Michigan State, maybe that made a bit, would have made a difference. All right. This is a question from Mike uh, Ginobile on Twitter, Mike underscore Ginobile, the, the one about uh, ranking the current college football jobs that are open and how Miami stacks up to them in all aspects from current roster available money for the coach, staff, facilities, fan base, recruiting, national um, conference, championship ceiling, et cetera. Um, I think we can all agree that LSU and USC are hands down better jobs in Miami. Um, one, I would say LSU because you're in the SEC, you have an automatic ticket if you're good. And, and I still think there's talent on that LSU roster. Like whoever sure. takes that job. Um, USC, I think, is a little trickier. They haven't necessarily had great recruiting classes like LSU has. Um, there are, I'd honestly put USC, even with Miami, uh, just because it's a very similar situation. They both don't have on-campus stadiums. They both, uh, have facility issues and they're both fighting an uphill battle, trying to retain their in-state talent. But so I would put, I, I, I would say, I feel like it is a little bit more of a sexier job at USC though. I don't know why. I just, I, I, I think just because of the location, the fact that it, it's, it's, I'll give you a nerdy answer as to why Miami might be better than USC. Okay. Okay. There's no state income tax in Florida. Mm. Housing is cheaper. It's true. And uh, there's no smog. Right. Um, okay. But what about Florida? The Gators better than Miami and USC? I would say yes. Yes. Just because their facilities are uh, SEC level. They've got SEC level talent and they're playing the SEC East, which although now you have to compete with Georgia, but that's the only thing you really have to run up against to get to the uh, SEC title game. And of course, we know the, the playoff committee is very biased towards the SEC and getting teams in. Washington and Virginia Tech definitely behind Miami? Uh, yes, I would say yes. And uh, we obviously, you know, based on where the location is of Virginia Tech and their facilities, I think that's a, a step behind Miami. Washington also plays in a pro stadium. Um, and, and they have, you know, they've been up and down throughout the years. I don't think it's as sexy as the other openings. Right. Um, and then Washington State, I guess, would be last of the Power Five behind TCU, um, just because they, they, you know, they're the second tier program in that state, and that state isn't great. Yeah, um, and it's also 15 degrees in the summer there. Yeah, uh, and then Akron, UConn, and FIU. FIU, that story this week um, from Brett McMurphy about them having to borrow shoulder pads or, or buy shoulder pads from Mississippi State. Um, and not being able to travel on the road recruiting for two years. I mean, I know that that's all from Butch Davis, but pretty amazing story. Um, some serious allegations. Serious allegations on his part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's not going to help FIU find a replacement, that's for sure. I mean, I mean, if Manny gets fired, I, if I'm him, I take that job. I don't have to move, keep my house, stay in Miami, and FIU owns him already, so might as well just work for him. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. Uh, is there one AD hire that would give us the best chance to land Mario Cristobal or Lane Kiffin? This is from at Matt Reed news. He's got a blue check Mark. Actually, we're getting questions now from blue check Mark people. Holy shit. We've made it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's one AD hire per se that gives Miami the best chance to land Mario and or Lane Kiffin, but I certainly think it's attainable for Miami to go out and get FAU's current athletic director who worked for Lane Kiffin, uh, worked with Lane Kiffin for two years there 
And I certainly think, you know, Gino Toretta, uh, you know, he was uh, Mario Cristobal's quarterback. So could they hire somebody who you would think have natural good relationship with? Yeah, I think those guys are out there um, that would help. But the more important thing is, how are they going to have that checkbook open? And, and how many zeros are they willing to place in that check? Right. That's that's more important than the uh, than the actual hire of the athletic director. All right. Uh, do you think Miami would hire a coach before an athletic director and use that when selling a potential coach the job, allowing the next head coach to have a say in hiring of the AD? This is from Kane Films. I wouldn't do that just because now you're you're creating a situation where you've elevated the head coach beyond the AD and the AD loses his spout. Correct. I think, um, but I do think this does have to be sort of a perfect marriage. In other words, I don't think you can go out and hire an AD who doesn't want a certain head coach if that's somebody that you want. Right. Yeah. I think I think there has to be sort of an acceptance of, hey, these are our targets as as a potential coach, and how do you feel about these guys? Or or tell us guys that you don't want to work with because we don't want to show our hand. Although everybody knows who we want to go after. All right. Will Alonzo Highsmith be a part of this administration? This is from Mr. Kane5150 on Twitter. I mean, I'd like him to be. I, I don't think he'd be the AD because I, I said this last night on Twitter. I, I think the issue of, of hiring somebody that has not been in an athletic department or run a business or something like that as an athletic director becomes too complicated because there's so much that goes into running in an entire athletic program, not just football, from a financial perspective, the facilities perspective, compliance all those things make it a very complicated job. And if you've never done that sort of thing in the past, it, it becomes very difficult for you. Now, can I see Alonzo maybe getting that football czar job that they discussed before or being the chief of staff of the new head coach if it's somebody that he's aligned with? I could see that. Or maybe even just being a, a, a consultant to the football program could be something that can be worked out. Well, I'm going to ask Alonzo uh, when I see him Thursday at this uh, event that I was invited to, the, uh, the one with the players, uh, who are going to be? Oh, you got invited to that? I got a little invite. I guess it's going to show off a little pool, bit. Man. Yeah, I got told about it about a month ago, and um, you know, was invited. Melvin Bratton's the guy who's really behind this all, um, and so I'm hoping to to you know get get a good feel for what these guys are thinking behind the scenes. I'm not going to disclose the location, um, but I will be attending this event on Thursday and hopefully have something good uh, to write about. Um, all right, if the Canes manage to get Cristobal. When could he officially start recruiting for UM? Could it be before the early signing period? This is from Andrew17. Well, Andrew, I will answer this question pretty easy for you. I don't think he's leaving Oregon before December 15th. So, no, no. I, don't, I do not think he will be signed part of the early signing period. No. Now, do I think if he's got a deal in principle that he tells kids to hold off? Maybe. Right, but... It, it, to me, nobody reacts until it becomes official, right? You can right. have all the rumors, exactly. and he's not going to have that uh, finalized with, with Oregon by that, by that quickly. All right. How big of a mess is the football program behind the scenes? Is firing James a part of the solution or merely just window dressing to appease the disgruntled masses? Is the real truth that Miami simply can't compete without the bag men and their money? This is from John O.P. Elliott, who I suspect – is an angry Florida State fan who just wants to keep rubbing it into my face that Miami lost. <laughs> well, I think the, the, the impact of the bagmen has been reduced because of NIL. Now you can have legal bagmen, um, and that's something that you know, the, the program can work around, and a lot of programs are currently doing that. I think in terms of the, the mess behind the scenes, I don't think it's that big of a mess. Um, it, and then the, the firing of Blake James is not window dressing. It's, like I said, a bat signal to the fans and to their candidates that they want to try and attract that we're serious about making this a, 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 you know, a legitimate program. At the end of the day, it's about how much are they willing to spend. That's a real thing. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, as far as Miami and the way that they thought about Blake James, they announced this as a mutual parting of the ways uh, in part because of, they felt that, that, you know, he did a good job as far as an administrator was concerned. Uh, Miami didn't get any trouble. Remember he took over when Nevin Shapiro, uh, this, that scandal sort of ended. And so they needed sort of a clean run, I know Miami's basketball program got enraptured in that whole Adidas thing. Um, but in the end, nothing was, no sanctions were ever levied. Miami never really got in trouble, never proven guilty of anything. So ultimately, in his eight years, Blake James kept this place pretty clean from getting in trouble again. And I think Miami's administration respected that. Um, you know, in the end, just didn't win. And he, he put his 
money on a horse that hasn't really delivered for him in Manny Diaz. So uh, again, um, I think Miami's next athletic director, we talked about this on the podcast before Carlos a few weeks ago. Um, I think having experience in athletics, being an athlete, yep. competing at the highest levels, all of those things help. So maybe the next athletic director will have a background as far as that is concerned. Yep. All right. What, what percentage of Miami fans on Twitter have any real football knowledge? Is it 0% or 5%? This is from MDL at dog 0213 on Twitter. Um, obviously another angry Florida state fan, but what percentage would you give it of Canes fans having any actual real knowledge? Well, all the ones that listen to this podcast and to listen to my, that listen to my podcast have great football knowledge and I refuse to disparage those people. <laughs> I will say I've participated in a few of these Twitter spaces. Um, I think 247 Kane, one of the guys on Twitter, he's invited me a couple of times to come on and answer questions uh, at night. And thankfully, people have been very, very respectful. Um, but I also think in general, there's a lot of people in the public who, you know, they don't live this every single day. And so some of their questions, in fact, somebody asked me not in the Twitter space, but on Twitter, what, is, what exactly is the power of the athletic director? Um, so some of this stuff, I do think there is a lack of knowledge of just background knowledge of how things operate and what's the importance of an athletic director and what does this guy do and what does that guy do? Um, you know, not everybody's a football genius. I will say this about Miami fans, the ones that are diehards, the ones that show up all season long, the ones that are constantly on message boards, they're lunatics. They're all crazy. They all love Miami and that is fandom that is being a lunatic. So um, smart. I, I can't say they're all smart, but crazy and passionate. Yes, I, I can. Yeah, and, and let's be honest. Not not every every football program has fans that aren't knowledgeable and, and think they should run a wildcat and a flea flicker on every play on offense. So let's not get into you know whose fan base is more knowledgeable. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter, man. Because even if our fan base isn't that knowledgeable, if we win and kick your ass, that's all that really matters. Yeah. All right. These two questions, I'm going to read them both just to give the, the people who send it to me a little bit of acknowledgement because it's the same subject, but I just want them to, to know that I read their question. Everyone is talking Mario Cristobal, but who is plan B or C if Mario doesn't want to leave Oregon? This is from Larry Schender, a regular listener. And then this is from David Hernandez on Twitter. Hypothetically, if Manny gets let go, who are your top three or five coaches you would like Miami to go after? Mario is the best fit, but what if he stays at Oregon? Who would be next on the list? Carlos, what's your top? Five? Do you have a top five? Well, I, I put it out on uh, on Twitter last night, or actually in my podcast, where I talked about um, uh, the choke at Doke. Uh, my last episode, where I discussed how I was at the parent pickup line picking up my daughter, and was trying to avoid a teacher that's a Florida State fan that I've been talking shit to for four years. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I was sitting in the line, and she was in the parking lot, and she caught me in the parking lot and aggressively tomahawk chopped me, and that was very embarrassing. Um, and funny enough, she's never out there in the morning when I dropped my daughter off, but she was out there this morning and she yeah. tomahawk chopped my ass again. So thanks for that. Back to back. Uh, <laughs> to me, it's a two horse race. Honestly, to me, it's, it's Lane Kiffin or it's Mario Cristobal. If you want to make a major change in the program, anybody else behind that, to me, it's secondary. Then you have a third tier candidates who maybe have been in trouble or haven't had enough experience. Um, but to me, it's Lane or Mario. If you want to make a big impact, a big splash. Yeah, I don't have a list that goes that deep either. Um, I like the coach at Wake Forest. I like Dave Clawson, but I think he's a better fit at some other schools like Virginia Tech, for instance. Yeah, you know, as an opening. if I'm Virginia Tech, I go all in on Dave Clawson. Yeah, um, I don't want Dan Mullen here. Um, I, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to really find. And this is what Kelvin, you know, I get 8,000 messages from Kelvin a day, guys, and, and probably 47 phone calls. Um, but, you know, he talks about, you know, why not just stick with Manny? And I think that, again, we talked about this earlier on the podcast. If you cannot find a quality replacement, what's the harm in giving Manny one more year and, and letting him have these players and, and leaving this coaching staff in place, essentially for another full season, right? Rhett Lashley, because I don't know where Rhett Lashley is going to go. Uh, he could potentially leave for another offensive coordinator job, but this hasn't been the finest showing for him all season long, right? There's no guarantee he's going to get a head coaching job. So um, I think if he, if he comes back and you've got him with a bunch of young, talented quarterbacks and, and this young nucleus with a few transfer portal additions, um, you know, this team could be successful. And, you know, uh, yes, the recruiting class sucks right now, but again, a lot can change if, if you have to stick on, you know, stick with Manny sort of in that situation. Right. Well, let's say they stick with Manny. What do you think is the, is the ceiling next year, record-wise? 
probably nine, ten wins. Uh, you I know? would say eight and four. You think eight and four is the ceiling? Yeah. I, I, I think the possibility is there because of, again, you know, they went 10 and three in 2017. How many of those games that Miami won were sort of late, pull it out your ass, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Florida State and Georgia Tech come to mind. They could have been an eight-win team there. So to me, the swing is always eight to ten games. You know, and to eight to ten wins per season. Like you could swing that kind of. They've got, they've got, they've got A and M on the road next year, and they've got to play Clemson. So right. Well, that's why I say ten wins. They could win every all but two of those games. You know, Um, because here's the thing: they're going to have the best quarterback in the ACC in my mind. You know, DJ Uangalale has really struggled this year. Uh, Kenny Pickett's going to be gone. Um, Sam Hartman's probably going to be gone uh, from Wake Forest. Um, certainly Sam Howell's going to be gone from UNC. Uh, where are the great quarterbacks? I mean, FSU still has Jordan Travis. And, and you yeah. Know that, yeah, I know he beat Miami, but it's not like he's, uh, I don't know, some, some, some future NFL quarterback. Um, so I think the potential is there to win as many as 10 games. I, I, do I think they're going to win a national championship? No, there's too many holes on this team. But from an APCC perspective, I mean, shit, if you, if you had half of a defense, they'd probably only have losses to Michigan State or, and Alabama right yeah. now. So I, I can see it. I can see it. Maybe it, uh, on a uh, ceiling, 10, 10, 9 to 10 wins. And I think the other important thing is that on the flip side, Sam Hartman's leaving Wake Forest, so Wake is going to be down next year also. Um. All right, last two questions. Would it be a good idea to bring in Butch Davis as a position coach or recruiter? This is from Franklin Saint uh, on Twitter. He is fly underscore breezy. I think Butch is done, man. He's 70 years old. That guy's done. If he, he's not going to be a head coach, he's not going to be a position coach somewhere else. I agree. Um, will the Canes win the Coastal next year? This is from T. Miller Golf. Um, again, we just kind of went over this, but. Yes, I think they could win the Coastal. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Virginia Tech is going to have a new head coach next year. Pittsburgh's not going to have Kenny Pickett. Um, and North Carolina's not going to have Sam Howell. They could absolutely win the Coastal next year. And, yep, Georgia, and Tech, uh, Georgia Tech doesn't look like they've gotten really any better yet. Um, I'm trying to think. Who, and Duke isn't going to do anything. So, I mean, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia? Yeah, I mean, it's sad that we're answering the same question that we've had to answer with Al Golden and the Randy coastal. Shannon. Yeah, the coastal. The coastal. Carlos, thanks for uh, hanging out with me for an hour once again and uh, getting this done. I really appreciate it. Um, any final thoughts as we sign off? Uh, let's just wait and see what happens, man. It's uh, it's an exciting time right now for, for a lot of the fan base. A lot of people are energized, but I would say temper your expectations. Let's see what happens because, like you said, you may end up with Manny again next year, depending on how all this plays out. I mean, especially if Mario gets in that college football playoff and he ends up playing for the national title, it's kind of hard to leave that. And if Florida fires Dan Mullen and goes all in on Lane Kiffin, it's going to be tough to beat. Agreed. I think uh, Miami fans, listen, does it look like Manny's leaving? Yes. Does it, is it a guarantee? Is it a slam dunk? No. Um, that said, he's still going to have a pretty good team next year especially if Manny sticks around. I think a lot of these kids are stuck around. If he's, if he's fired, you know, right after that Duke game, the poaching season begins, baby. Yep. Now the, the key is going to be, can he supplement what he's got through the transfer portal and pick up enough guys in the late signing period um, to supplement the roster? That's the key. Really the transfer portal because he needs guys that can make impacts next year from a rotation standpoint. All right. We'll see you next week. Y'all know y'all come down that way.